There is this big debate in the field about what to do about weight. Let me play my part. Check to weight. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Helpless little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless. You the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to create change. picking up on uh, one of the most essential um, conundrums I guess we struggle with is um, so in, a, in an ideal situation, right, how we would all interact with food and our bodies is to um, uh, respond to our body's needs as, as it's telling us to, right? Um, just kind of like a, a baby does, right? Cries when they're hungry, yeah. eats. Um, actually, we start out with really good mechanisms for being able to determine how hungry or full we are when we're very, very little. Um, but by the time all of us get to adulthood, unfortunately, even somebody without an eating disorder um, is a little bit removed from that process because we put all these layers of what what um, ha- cueing us for when we should and shouldn't sure. eat, right? So the social engineering starts to bite away at the at the instincts. That's right. And Interesting. then, wow. I mean, m- many many people who have eating disorders are even further very much disengaged from their physical body when they're making eating decisions, right? Either not um, not noticing and feeling hunger and satiety cues. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, or else have kind of um, more exaggerated hunger and satiety cues than than the average person. Um, so you're right, you can't just jump into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is, so there is this big debate in the field about what to do about weight, right? So a lot of people, there is, um, you probably have have heard of the healthy at every size movement. And... Um, a bit, this movement is really about we should stop um, looking at weight as a marker of if somebody has a problem with eating. We should stop um, uh, setting weight loss as a goal for anyone, including, um, well, let me not misrepresent. I think their idea is we shouldn't assume weight loss is a goal for anyone. Um, so the idea is that you can be in a much larger body, but still be medically healthy. You can be in a much larger body and be struggling with things like restrictive eating and all of that. Um, and I, um, I, there's so much that's good about that movement. Um, I agree that we're missing eating disorder behaviors from larger bodied individuals all the time because people assume that what they need to do is lose weight when people are doing all sorts of disordered things to try to lose weight and mm-hmm. they're actually um, need to eat more um, than they are because they're starving themselves, right? Um, but uh, as somebody who I, – I, I do a lot of research on anorexia nervosa 
Um, and there's, um, first of all, there's no way you could take somebody who's acutely struggling with anorexia and say, um, let's listen to your body and get to um, where your body naturally wants to be weight-wise because it takes an extraordinary amount of calories to get somebody to a healthy weight when they're underweight. Can you talk about refeed for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's um, the process of refeeding like you're, you're mentioning. So that's when somebody's underweight and they are when they're they're on a protocol to get their body to a healthy weight. And what happens, you know, is that once you start eating to try to gain to a healthy healthier weight, um, because you're medically compromised at a low weight, your body reacts because it wants to maintain homeostasis. So it amps up your metabolism. So here we are, somebody who's underweight and they start eating um in you know a, a more full amount of calories, right? Maybe what the average person would eat, and suddenly their body says, "Oh no, we have to protect ourselves um, from fluctuation." So we're going to speed up your metabolism so it's harder to gain weight. So you know now you have to eat more calories to be able to um, gain weight, and so um, often um, we see people have to be on very high caloric um, prescriptions to be able to make the steady gains they need to um, to get out of that medically scary mm-hmm. um, uh, weight range. And so um, that's why a lot of people end up going into these intensive treatment programs like an inpatient or a residential program. IDPU, things like that. That's right. Yeah. And I think one of the main functions of that is it's just terribly hard to do on your own. It's possible. Um but it's it's hard to just um, physically get the number of calories you need to in your body while also taking care of yourself psychologically. And is it true that the body also stores, um, you know, that energy and and fat and things like that because it's been in quote unquote starvation mode for so long that mm-hmm. people can like swell out a little bit more than they expected and that frustrates them and well this isn't what I wanted you know but they don't realize it's going to get distributed your body doesn't think that you're ever going to eat again so mm-hmm. it's holding on to everything how, how does that work yeah you you know a lot of the research well, <laughs> how, well I mean I don't know if you if you had a chance to check out the documentary mm-hmm. or if you know any background about this but like yeah. she had a very severe disorder right very very severe so it was daily life and death life and death struggle were you and you were there through. She went to IDP when we first got together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we went around group uh, on friends' family night, and everyone gave the reason why they had sought treatment. Yeah. And she pointed at me, and she's like, I want to hang out with her longer. Oh, that's... And uh, we didn't know how little time we had, but I think uh, we always thought, without saying it out loud, that we've got something else up against us. We might get, We might not get... You know, walking off into the sunset, yeah. you could see back in the corner. Oh, that's so sweet. But you know, it was it was life or death every day, and for her, it wasn't. I mean, we can come back to the weight consciousness and stuff like that, but for her, it was so much more trauma based. That that's yeah. what the foundation focuses on. But I understand it's not always that for everyone. Um, with the healthy at every size piece, it feels like there's there's a good thing coming along where people aren't judged as much for, do I fit this perfect model of quote unquote beauty? Mm-hmm. But then there are also like for my nine to five, I'm selling, you know, components for cardiac mapping catheters. And I know how frustrated these doctors are 
with people who maybe are morbidly obese, who couldn't care less, who say, well, you can't judge my body, I'm healthy no matter what. You could say that about a smoker, right? You don't have lung cancer, mm-hmm. but you're setting yourself up with unbelievable risk totally needlessly. Mm-hmm. So where do we draw the line? What parts of that movement should be criticized and what parts should we keep and keep moving forward and evolving and having the good conversations? Mm-hmm. Because we, we denormalize tobacco in the 20th century without stigmatizing it. Can we denormalize unhealthy eating behaviors without stigmatizing individuals? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, regarding the weight distribution, um, so uh, I think this is actually a really good thing for people to hear who are in the, the process of weight restoration. Um, I, I was actually early, early in my career involved in some research um, looking at this because we had a lot of people reporting, I'm getting all this weight into my abdomen. Yep. And um, that's not how I used to look, you know, pre-eating disorder. It's not how I, I feel very uncomfortable with this. And if we this were, is my healthy body, I don't want it. Right, exactly. Right? Yep. And so um, this was something we took a look at. And what we found is that um, people are correct when you, when you go through the process of re- weight restoration. Um, it's not uncommon to gain more in your abdomen during that acute time. Um, so, so the distress that people were feeling wasn't like in their head, you know. Um, it was really happening. But um, the good news is if people could stick it out and maintain that, that healthy weight um, for a year, we, we measured them a year later. So this could have occurred earlier than a year. But we know that a year later weight redistributed, right? So it just went back to being okay. how it has been. I was curious been. about the time frame there. Yeah. Uh, we know within a year that happens. Um, perhaps it happens quicker. We just don't mm-hmm. know. So the reason, the way that played out in our life, in case you're curious about any of that anecdotal story of, yeah, of yeah, Cal's absolutely. life. Um, uh, I don't talk about her cancer that much on the website because it's just like, I just yeah. hate it. Um, but it was ovarian cancer, which mm-hmm. ironically puffs you out. It puffs you out and also uh, ruins your appetite. Well, you wouldn't know the difference if Kel had an appetite or right. Kel lost her appetite. You wouldn't notice. It would be like, oh, it must right. be Thursday. So, but for women who don't have an eating disorder, mm-hmm. um, they go to the doctor. They're eating less because this tumor is shrinking their stomach. It's pressing on their stomach, mm-hmm. right? So they're losing their appetite and puffing out. And more often than not, the doctor says, why don't you just lose a few pounds? Meanwhile, they're dying. So Ugh. for all the women out there who've been through this or who love someone who've been through this, I just want to spread that word so that people know a little bit more about that disease. Now, what did that mean in our lives when she mm-hmm. had this restrictive eating disorder? And her diagnos- diagnosis, by the way, was Ednos, mm-hmm. eating disorder not otherwise specified. The most common e- eating disorder diagnosis, It's just by not the way. knowing what to call it at all. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's a problem um, with our diagnostic system. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a new science. Um, so I remember we'd be thinking about it and being like, because I kept such close track. She didn't track her weight. But she'd turn around on the scale and I'd see the number at, at the clinic every week. And if it was way down, I'd be nervous and I'd be like, I know it sucks, but we just have to eat. Like, they can't make any more excuses tonight. We just have to. That kind of thing. And I'd keep an eye on it for her. And it was weird because it's not like she was eating like a normal amount, what I would say, like what I would eat, a normal person. But at the same time, she's puffing out. And I remember going like... Like, what's happening? Is this refeed? And she'd be like, I keep wondering about it myself, but mm. refeed doesn't take this long. I went to IDP at the end of 2012. It's 2014. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm just like, 
puffing out over my jeans and we just couldn't understand it oh. for ages. So it was just the perfect storm oh, of symptoms that didn't make sense and this other horrific disease that really, you know, science doesn't yeah. have a handle at all. You know, it's like, I think of ovarian cancer kind of like Wilt Chamberlain. Like, it's just mm. embarrassing the fuck out of us. Cancer jokes. <laughs> Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movie. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is from Amplified!